Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. I want to just share an Easter message with you this morning, a word of encouragement, and hopefully it will encourage you this morning. And, um, but I want to share something with you that's been a revelation that the Lord has showed me. And I want to read a passage of Scripture beginning in verse 19 of John chapter 20. And, uh, and I want to preach this for just a few minutes this morning. I'll try not to be too long uh, because I know you have Easter festivities that probably you want to engage in. And so uh, also remind you that all of those that are watching, bring your children by today at 2 o'clock, receive an Easter gift and, uh, and to be with us. If you have your copy of God's Word, this is what the, Lord, the Word of the Lord says. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he had showed them his hands and his side. And when the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I don't know if the name Meg Altman means anything to you, Meg Altman was a divorcee uh, that had an 11-year-old daughter uh, named Sarah. And and she had bought uh, one of the iconic brownstone homes in New York City um, uh, back in 2000. Um, And and she bought one of those homes in the Upper West Side of New York City. I don't know if you've seen those homes or not, but they're very beautiful. Matter of fact, a few years ago, a number of years ago, when I was uh, working uh, with a company in the corporate world, um, my boss, who was a builder, contractor, we went to New York City. He wanted to see these iconic brownstone houses. Well, these brownstone houses in the Upper East Side of New York are usually owned by those that are are wealthy. And uh, this particular home that Meg Altman bought was a home that was, was owned by a multimillionaire, and uh, this multimillionaire was always afraid somebody was going to come and break in, hold him hostage, and kidnap him for a ransom. And uh, so he built what became known as a panic room. And he built that panic room onto his house. And of course, you may know where I'm going with this. If you've ever seen the 2002 movie uh, Panic Room with Jodie Foster, this movie was made about the true story of Meg Altman and her daughter Sarah who had moved into one of these New York City brownstone houses. And the first night they were there, there were three men who tried to break in and rob the home. She and her daughter had entered into one of these panic rooms and locked herself into the room. Now, if you have seen the movie, you've seen the outcome of that, and uh, this was the true story. My boss wanted to see these brownstone homes, and of course, me being one who loves to go to places where live things or true things have happened, I wanted to see it. And so we had went and saw one of these brownstone homes that this multimillionaire had built a panic room. Do you know that after the movie uh, Panic Room in 2002 came out, many people began to build panic rooms in their home? Matter of fact, uh, hundreds and hundreds of people began to build these expensive panic rooms. Matter of fact, included in that was the Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth II. 
She built a panic room both in Windsor Castle and also in Buckingham Palace. And she spent $1.6 million building a panic room. Now, her panic room had 18-inch thick stone block. It was uh, equipped with all of the latest communication, ventilation. Uh, it was uh, fit with all of the electricity so that if, if uh, the electricity went out, it had its own separate uh, communication, its own separate ventilation, its own separate electricity. And they say that the panic room in Buckingham Palace could withstand uh, a direct hit from a mortar. And so all of these panic rooms began to be built in these wealthy homes uh, shortly after this movie had came out and after the story of Meg Ullman. And what is interesting is, is that here in John chapter 20, we see the disciples who have gone in on Easter Sunday evening had gone into their very own panic room. That they on Easter Sunday, that evening, uh, and here in chapter 20, in the first part of the chapter, we have the morning, early morning of Easter Sunday, when Mary Magdalene and them had ran to the tomb, and they had gone to the tomb and saw that Jesus has resurrected, and Mary had her experience outside the tomb of Jesus, and her and the women had gone there, and she came back, and came back with excitement, and, uh, that, and she had saw the risen Lord himself. But that evening, the evening of Easter Sunday, we see these disciples in that late evening, they are in the middle of, uh, they have assembled together, and the Bible said the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. The doors were shut. Now I want you to notice a couple of things here. First of all, the word doors is plural which means that the doors of the house, there were more than one that isolated the disciples inside. Fear had brought them to the place where they ran and began to hide from the fear of the Jews. And then the word shut there means that the, these doors were not only doors, but they were doors that were shut. They were, the word means to be barred or to be locked in are to uh, be locked in by, by uh, wood. You know, the picture, the word picture here is that the disciples were locked in, uh, and if you've ever seen medieval locks or wood uh, that have, that have uh, locked doors, that is what they were. They were barred in. They were locked in. And the Bible says they were locked in because of fear of the Jews. Fear drove them to a panic room. Fear drove them to a place where they barred themselves and locked themselves behind doors. Now, this is resurrection evening. This is the evening after Jesus rose from the grave. And so here we see them here in this room. Now, I want you to notice it said, for fear of the Jews. The word fear there is interesting because there is different words for fear in the Scripture. There's the word afraid, in other words, which is present tense, which means you can have an encounter and you become afraid of something. And uh, uh, we all have had that. We all have experienced being afraid. You walk into a situation, and, and that situation creates a moment of fear where you are begin to be afraid. But this is a different word. This word comes from the Greek word. You're going to recognize it. The word phobos, which means phobia. And it means, it means in the, the, the context of the word is intimidation of an adversary. In other words, it is, a, it is a phobia, 
it is a spirit that comes on those. And out of that, there is this intimidation of an adversary, whatever that adversary may be. Now, the disciples didn't just have a moment of fear where they just for a season was afraid. This word describes that they not only was afraid, the spirit of fear was on them. That spirit of fear had attached to their life. They were afraid of anything that was adversary to them. In other words, this is what the word means. It's a fear that is produced by a belief that is unsubstantiated or truthful. In other words, this is what the spirit of fear does. The spirit of fear can come on an individual, and it's a fear that is unsubstantiated, and not only unsubstantiated, it can, doesn't even have to be truthful. In other words, they can believe a lie, and that fear will cause, and really the root word means to cause a paralysis of thought and to lose rationality. See, what the spirit of fear does is it brings us to a place where we lose the ability to rationally think. In other words, these disciples were locked behind these doors. They had barred themselves in. The spirit of fear had came upon them. And the spirit of fear came upon them because of an unsubstantiated truth or an unsubstantiated uh, uh, something that was untruthful, something that was not verified. It was something that they uh, irrationally themselves had thought. And so here these disciples had ran to their own panic room. I'm here to tell you that we as believers, sometimes we bar and run ourselves to the panic rooms of our life and we bar ourselves in and we become fearful of the adversary and fearful of the things that on the exterior of our lives that really have not been substantiated. They've not been truthful. They're lies that we have believed in and it has caused a paralysis in our thought and our ability to reason. And so here we have these disciples, and I, I began to think about this, and I thought, man, they have locked themselves in their own panic room. Here on Resurrection Sunday, the evening after Jesus had rose to the dead, and I thought, what in the world drove those men to that? This should have been a day of celebration. This should have been a day of testimony. It should have been a day when they came out and began to preach the gospel and share Jesus and, and proclaim the truth that he had preached for three years. But all of a sudden, the spirit of fear got on them and they locked themselves in to the panic room and they locked themselves there with an irrational ability to believe a, a truth or a lie that was not substantiated. It's interesting when I began to look through this. You know, years ago, there was a lady called, named Ann Landers, and she had a write-in column in the newspaper. And uh, it was, her column was one of the most popular ever. Ann Landers, of course, would respond, and she would post some of those uh, uh, writings. People would send her in uh, questions, and Ann Landers would post them. And I don't know about you, but I used to read it. And uh, they said, Ann Landers said, uh, she, at the height of her column, that she would receive 10,000 letters a month from people. And she said that the number one uh, request or the number one question that was always answered or was always presented to her was always had to do with fear. The number one request from her 
to give an answer to, what had to do something with a level of fear in someone's life. They did a study of 500 people, and in that study they realized that that 500 people had 7,000 fears in their life. You know, I thought, man, that's, that's a lot, but what happens is, you know, I'm not talking about a moment of fear. I'm talking about the spirit of fear that gets on people. I'm here to tell you that the resurrection love has come and cast out all fear in our life. Jesus' resurrection, his death on the cross, not only saved us for salvation, but he gave us a peace that passes understanding, and he eliminated fear in our lives. You know, there is the, uh, you want to know what the top 10 fears that people have in their life. The top 10 fears are, number 10, losing freedom is number 10. Number nine, uh, fear of the unknown. Number eight, the fear of pain. Number seven, the fear of disappointment. Number six, the fear of misery. Number five, the fear of loneliness. Number four, the fear of being ridiculed. Number three, the fear of rejection. Number two, the fear of death. And the number one fear, the number one phobia of fear that is in people's lives in this hour today, psychologists say, is the fear of failure. The fear of failure. You know, the disciples had heard that Jesus had been resurrected. They had heard from the women and those and that had ran to the tomb. We even know that Peter and John had ran to the tomb themselves and had known that Jesus had resurrected and they had known that he had resurrected and, and, and what happens is, is fear still overrode what they knew to be as truth. In other words, fear stands in opposition to everything that Easter stands for this morning. Fear stands in the middle of everything that Easter stands for. You don't have to live controlled by your fears. Matter of fact, do you know, a study said that Americans are the most anxious people in all the earth. Of all the nations of the world, Americans are the most anxious people in all the world. In other words, fear had the grip of these disciples' lives on Easter Sunday. But I'm here to tell you the hope is that Easter has come, the resurrection has come to set us free from sin, to dispel death, to give us eternal life, and to deal with our present day fears that Jesus comes and stands in the midst of our fear. He enters the panic rooms of our life and he dispels every fear that we have. And I'm here to tell you that is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. You know, all of us have a panic room in our hearts. It's where we retreat to when life's pressures begin to overwhelm us. What has, what has driven us there is fear. In other words, we go into our panic rooms, and it's not, it's not the circumstance that drives us there, but it's the fear. But I want to go a little deeper this morning. Fear has driven us into that panic room. Fear drives us there. It's a, some, most of the time, it's a fear that is unsubstantiated or not even truthful, but what happens is we treat into the panic rooms of our heart, and what it does is it keeps the freedom of God from living fully in our lives. These disciples 
were locked in this room, paralyzed by the fact that fear and unsubstantiated fear overcame them and brought them into that panic room. And I want to give you two things this morning. I want to give you two reasons why uh, these disciples ran into the panic room, why they didn't uh, reach down into the very truth that Jesus had left them and lived before them uh, for the last three years. Why did they not reach down into the words of the Word of God, into faith, into what Jesus had taught them for three years? Why did they not reach down to the truth that was in them to pull out and to dispel that fear that came upon them, that fear of an adversary, that fear of being overtaken, that fear of losing and a loss, that fear of disappointment, that fear of failure? Why don't we at times in our lives reach down and pull out truths of the Word of God and apply them to our lives and and apply them to our lives in the midst of our fear? Why do we always run to our panic rooms of life and lock ourselves behind the doors and we lay there and become paralyzed by those things? I'm here to tell you that Jesus died this morning, that you don't have to live by fear. We have a nation that's living by fear right now, a nation that is running to fear. But I'm here to tell you that this day on Sunday, a resurrected Savior has dispelled all of the adversary. And we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in our panic rooms. We don't have to stay there in our hearts and in our minds. But we can come out resurrected and live a life that is full of life. We don't have to live through the paralysis of fear that is in our life. But I'm here to tell you the root of it, even though we call it fear, the root root of it is much more deeper than just the word fear. Why did these disciples not reach down into those areas and and pull out those truths? On the surface, they appeared to be strong and committed. It's amazing to me that as they walk with Jesus and as they walk with Jesus on the outside, they appeared to be they appeared to be committed to Christ. They appeared to be true followers and true disciples of him. But all of a sudden we see throughout the gospel there was these moments where where they were pressured and pressure came on their life and they yielded to the fear of the pressure. Did we not see Peter as he stood, as Jesus was being dragged into the courtroom uh, of judgment in the Pharisees' house and Caiaphas' home and brought into the courtroom and Peter followed closely and all of a sudden he was accused of being one of the disciples and he denied Jesus three times and fear came upon him. The scripture tells us at that moment that when the, when the crow, uh, uh, when, the, when the rooster crowed three times, Jesus looked at him as if when he got that look, Peter knew that fear had entered his heart and it was fear that drove him to deny Jesus. What pressure, when pressure comes, all of a sudden who we really are comes forth. It's amazing when pressures of life begin to push in us. What happens is what comes out first is what we're afraid of. Who we fear the most, what our adversary is, who we feel our adversary is. And when the pressure of life comes, it's very easy to stand and say, I'm a Christian. But when persecution comes, when pressure comes, Do you have a panic room this morning that you run into and lock yourself in and you have lost your ability, your thought, your ability to to reason and ability to dip into the faith that Christ has given us through the power of the resurrection? I want to share two things with you this morning. Number one, fear grips us when we disregard the word of God. 
Fear grips us when we disregard the Word of God. I want us to look this morning, the word disregard. The word disregard means this. It means to pay no attention to, to ignore. It means to have indifference or to treat unworthy of notice. It means to treat unworthy of notice. In other words, disregard, uh, it means to believe a lie. We the disregard. And so uh, we look this morning. That is exactly what these disciples did. This is exactly what had happened to them that the, these, exa- these disciples had done. We see in verse 8 that Peter and John had been to the empty tomb. And the Bible said that when they looked in, they believed. Now look at verse 8. It says, And then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw. And look what the Scripture says. The Scripture says, And he believed. Peter and John ran to the tomb. They looked into the tomb. And when they looked into the tomb, there was a belief that came on them. They believed the Word. They believed that Jesus was not there. They believed he was resurrected. But look at, look at verse 9. It tells a lot. For as yet they did not know the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away to their own homes. In other words, what happened was is they looked in and they believed the fact They believe the present fact that Jesus was not there. It doesn't mean that they believed that he resurrected. What they believed was is the fact that they looked and they believed that he was not there. Because the verse 9 tells us, For they had not known the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So their belief was based upon what they saw, not what they knew. Their belief was not on the fact that they had heard that Jesus was going to rise again. Their belief was on the fact that he wasn't there. It's not a faith belief that's being taught here, that's being said here. It is a belief of the eyesight. It's the belief of what is seen. Because verse 9 tells us, For they did not know the Scripture. The word know means they did not come into intimacy with the Scripture that said he would rise again. Now hang with me. Because here, back again that evening, Peter, John, and the disciples, the 11, except Judas, was back into this panic room. Peter and John had saw that the tomb was empty and that Jesus has resurrected and 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 that and they, they did not remember what Jesus had taught them that he was going to rise again. And they ended up back in this room. And here's the thing. They disregarded the word of God. Listen, even if Peter and John had got to the tomb and believed by faith that Jesus was not there and that he was risen, by the time they got back to the panic room, that unbelief was dispelled because of the fear that was in that room. You know what I'm here to tell you this morning? You need to watch who you hang around. Because I'm telling you, you can be full of faith and you can get around people that's full of fear and that faith will dissipate just like that. You'll become just like the majority that is in the room. 
You've got to have a faith. Jesus has given us a resurrection faith that our faith could be out front, that it's not just, we cannot just disregard the word of God. We have to believe that what Jesus says is truth and carry it in our life so that when we walk into a room, even though we may be outnumbered, that there, there, our faith overrides in that room. We cannot let fear dispel who we are. We cannot let a room of unfaithful people or people who are full of fear to override what we know and what we've seen God do. I'm here to tell you the church can't back up in this hour. We know that Jesus is a miracle worker. We know who he is. And we can't let people who are unwilling to live by faith, who live their life by fear, to override those of us who walk by faith. Help me, the Lord, this morning. I'm getting there. And you say, well, how do you know they disregarded the word of God? Stay with me because I want you to follow me and go with me in this passage of Scripture. Turn over to John chapter 3 and verse 9. I'm going to read a couple of them to you. I don't have time to go through all the scriptures. But I want us to see John chapter 3 and verse 14. Here Jesus, Nicodemus had come by night. We've had Nick at night. Nicodemus came by night to see Jesus and his disciples. And he asked Jesus uh, uh, what he must do to be born again. Jesus goes into this dialogue in the beginning. And, and uh, we'll just begin in verse Uh, 12, it says, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Verse 13, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who comes down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. And then verse 14, this is what he says. He says, as Moses was lifted up, up, has lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the son of man must be lifted up that whomsoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In other words, he tells Nicodemus and the disciples are right there. He said the day comes when the son of man, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the son of man be lifted up for the sins of the world so that men will not perish but have everlasting life. His disciples are sitting right there. Go with me to Matthew chapter 16. I want you to see. What I'm doing is I'm showing you that Jesus told the disciples, he told them of his resurrection, but they disregarded the word of God. Verse chapter 16 and verse 21, the Bible says, for that time Jesus began to show his disciples. Now this is powerful. The word show there means he began to explain Not only explain, but the word is demonstrate, clarify, unveil. It means to continue, uh, continually show. In other words, the word means that Jesus began to continually show his disciples. What did he show them? What did he explain to them? What what did he continuously clarify to them? Verse 21, for the time, for that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chiefs, priests, and the scribes, and what? Be killed and be raised on the third day. These disciples are locked in a panic room full of fear and unbelief. Peter and John had ran through the tomb. And they came back to the room. They knew that Jesus was not there, but they allowed fear to override their faith. 
And Jesus, many times in Scripture, Matthew 26 and 1, Matthew 20, 17, talks about him rising again on the third day. Matthew 26, 1, talks about the time frame. That after Passover, Jesus tells his disciples that I shall be tried and killed and put on the cross and rise on the third day. Mark 14, 26 through 28, Jesus tells when, where, how, and where over and over again. He told his disciples that when he was crucified, that on the third day he would rise. But yet they still had fear. They had fear because they disregarded the words of Jesus. See, fear overrides us when we disregard the word of God. Fear overcomes us when we disregard. In other words, when we pay no attention to, when we ignore, when we treat as unworthy of notice. Are you with me this morning? You and I can get to a place where we cannot hear the word of God over our fear. Our fear becomes loud. Our voice of our adversary becomes louder than the word of God. And they were, they were at this place. And, and you may say, the underlying manifestation, listen, here's what the underlying manifestation of fear is. The underlying manifestation of fear it manifests itself in two ways. It manifests itself in doubt, and it manifests itself uh, not only in doubt, but it manifests itself in disbelief. So what happens is, is that when fear comes on us, when we refuse to believe the word of God, then what we begin to believe, we begin to doubt that God has the power to do what he wants to do. So we don't live life from faith. We live life from doubt. We don't live life victoriously. We live from a place that where we don't say we don't believe that Jesus is not real. But what we say is, is that Jesus cannot do it for me because my fear and my doubt has kept the power of the resurrected Savior from working in my life. And so now you move from doubt to a life of disbelief and we become practical atheists, though we're Christians. In other words, we believe the lie above what the Word says. Whew, hope you're with me this morning. In the 1500s, there was a Spanish family who wanted to, to take the throne of Spain. But the heir to the throne was a man who was the prince of Grenada. So what the Spanish family did was they trumped up these charges against this uh, prince of Grenada. And, uh, and they brought him before a bribed judge. They brought him before that judge. He was bribed. They arrested him and brought him before the judge. And the judge, because he was bribed, sentenced the prince of Grenada, who was heir to the throne of Spain, to a lifetime in prison. And for 33 years, this prince spent in a jail cell. They put him in the jail cell, and the only thing that they gave him was a Bible. They threw a Bible in there, and for 33 years, he lived in, in isolation. He lived in uh, that place of, uh, of isolation in this prison called the Skull, the Rock Prison. Uh, there in Madrid, and they put him in there for 33 years. He lived in confinement. He lived there, and all he had was a Bible. 
When he had died 33 years later, they had brought him out, and what they discovered was is that he began, he got a hold of a nail or a rock and began to write certain inscriptions on the walls of the prison in which he spent 33 years. But this is unbelievable. Think about this. He began to scratch certain things on the walls of the cell. Now I want to share with you just a couple of things that he put. He wrote on the wall, he put Psalms 118.8 is the middle verse of the Bible. He wrote Ezra 7.21 is, is a verse that has every letter of the alphabet but J. He wrote on the wall that Esther 8.9 is the longest verse in all the Bible. He wrote that there's no name in the Bible that has more than six syllables. And all of this trivia, all of this, this information about the Bible was written on the walls. But what was not said was, what was not said was not one single word of his witness to Jesus Christ. What was not said was that he made a true confession to Christ. There wasn't one word about his love for God or one word about his surrender to Christ as a Savior. The only thing that was on that wall was trivia. In other words, the Bible gave him information, but it never penetrated his heart. It never got deep down into him. In other words, for 33 years, he had the key to eternity in his hands, and he disregarded the hope that was in the Word of God, and all that he knew was the trivia of the Word of God. I'm here to tell you, are we not tired of the church who just knows information about God but don't know the power of his resurrection in our lives? Are we not tired of people who are full? Uh, we know who Moses' mother was. We know how many lepers there was. We know this, we know that. But has the word of God been disregarded in our lives? Is truth really in us this morning? Has it penetrated our heart? Has there been a resurrection of life in you? Has there been a resurrection that confirms that Jesus is your Lord this morning? Is there a resurrection in your words and in your testimony this morning? But now Jesus, has he come into our heart? And what happens? Fear disregards the word of God. And what happens is they lost their testimony. And now they are locked in this panic room with fear. Number two, fear will keep, will grip you to disbelieve the promises of Jesus. Fear will keep you from disbelieving the promises of Jesus. If you'll look back over to Luke chapter 24, I want to show you a passage of Scripture. And uh, I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit because I want you to, uh, just for sake of time, but in verse 6, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 24, we hear, we see this again, Luke's version of the resurrection. In verse 6, it says, he is, he is not here. The, the women have ran to the tomb, and they had gone to spices to anoint Jesus' body, and they realized that he is not there. And the women had gone to the tomb and early morning. He is not here, but risen. Remember how... He spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. Some translation says, do you remember the promises that he gave? Do you remember the promises that he spoke? That is what was said to the women. And then down in verse 11, they came and, and they told the disciples, 
And they began to say to them, and their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe what the women were saying. In other words, what happened was fear gripped them to disbelieve the promise that Jesus was going to raise himself from the dead. It wasn't that they didn't believe in Jesus. They, did not, they, they, they didn't believe the promise of his resurrection. And what happened was it created a disbelief and a doubt that Jesus' promise was true. We claim we believe. We claim we believe the word of God. We believe his promises. But when fear comes on our life, is fear dispelled or is our belief in his promise dispelled? When we have life troubles or marriage problems or financial problems or relationship problems, do we still believe the promise of God this morning as we are quarantined and isolated, locked in as a nation? Do we disbelieve as though we have never known or not known? And I want to tell you that two things that brought fear to the disciples was they disregarded the word of God and they, they disbelieved his promises. And because of that, there was a doubt that was manifested in them. There was a doubt that came. Several things happen when we walk in fear and doubt. We talked about one of them. The first one is that paralysis comes to our lives. Fear of commitment. I want to tell you that with people who fear have problems with commitment. People who fear have problems. They, they're less likely to get involved. They're less likely to commit. People that have commitment issues to the things of God are people that fear. They've been paralysis. There's paralysis has come upon their life. I heard the story of a man that lived on the East Coast, and he began to write letters to a woman that lived on the West Coast who he had casually known, and he had thought of her, and he, in a whim, he wrote her a note checking in on her and told her he was thinking about her. He lived on the East Coast. She lived on the West Coast. He wrote several letters to her. Finally, when a letter never came back from her, all of a sudden she, he got a letter from her sister, and her sister told him, said she has been in a very terrible car accident, and she has been paralyzed by this accident. Not only uh, uh, or she's suffered great trauma, she's lost her sight, and she said, but would you please continue to write letters? It's very encouraging to her. And continued to write letters. Well, the man on the East Coast continued to write these letters to his friend. And one day, as his, her sister was reading these letters to her, uh, she was blind, of course, from the accident and, uh, and paralyzed. And she began to read these letters to her. All of a sudden, while she was reading the letter, her sight came back to her. And she could see again. Doctors couldn't explain what had happened, why her eyesight had came back. And uh, why her eyesight began. And, the bio, and, and it said this. It said that she was able to leave the hospital and was able to go home. But when she got home, she had a fear of going outside and she would not go outside anymore. She stopped going outside. She stopped going out because she had a fear that something would happen in her life. She had her eyesight back. She had her freedom back but she was not willing to go outside because she was afraid. And she lived in this confinement in her own house. Well, the gentleman on the west, east coast wrote her another letter and continued to write her, knowing her fears. 
And he wrote her a letter that became a song. It said, it said that, be, that became a song. It said, you remind me I live in a shell. Safe from the past, doing okay, but not very well. No jokes, no surprises, no crisis arise. My life goes alone, goes along as if the shield, it all was very nice, but it's not very good. And that poem or that, that letter became a song that was recorded by Barry Manilow. He wrote that psalm to a friend and, and it was an example that she, it's just like us. Jesus has written us a letter. He's written us a psalm. He's written us the word of God. We have the encouragement of the letter of the word of God. But we also got our sight back when we came to Jesus and we gave our life to Jesus. Old things passed away and old things become new. We once were blind, but now we see. But we've become so paralyzed, we're so afraid to go out into the world because the fall, the accident of the fall, the sin of our life drives us to a place of fear. Just like that woman who was locked in her room and confined. She was afraid to go out because something would happen to you. There are some of you that sin had damaged your life to the point that where now you live in fear. And even though your eyes have been opened, even though salvation has come to your house, and even though you have the Word of God, the promises of God, you've disregarded the Word of God, you've disbelieved God's promises, and fear has overtaken your life, I break down that door right now in the name of Jesus and come forth just like Lazarus came forth and Jesus come forth. I declare that fear no longer captivates your life, but you live a life of freedom in the Christ Jesus. I break the doors of that panic door you have hidden behind. Hallelujah. And we know fear damages relationships. Fear will rob you of happiness. Let me give you a proverb. Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression. Some translation says anxiety in the heart of a man weighs him down. But a good word makes it glad. Thank God for the word of God that makes us glad. Some of you have lack of energy. Your heart feels weighed down. I'm here to tell you the resurrection Christ has broken that fear off of your life. You've been robbed of destiny or destination. Job said it like this in chapter 3, verses 25 and 26. For this thing I greatly fear has come upon me, and I was dreaded has hap- what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble cometh upon me. You hear what I'm saying? I'm here to tell you it's robbed you of your happiness. It's robbed you of your destiny. Fear has robbed you of relationships. You've been afraid to commit. You've been afraid. You've been paralysis has come on your life. I'm here to tell you that fear can even bring death. I heard the story of a man in Minnesota who was working on a construction site. They were building a new building, and he worked for an elevator company. And uh, 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 he was working for this company, and they were hoisting 1,000 pounds of steel up and that these elevators were made of. And they would elevate it above. And one day he was standing underneath this elevator and there was these safety chains that were on these elevators in case they broke off while they were lifting them. And they were lifting this elevator and there was a safety chain on it. And he was standing right underneath it. And what happened was that, 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 that rope that was pulling it broke off 
and that elevator began to descend 10 floors and that man was right under it. He looked up and saw the elevator that was coming, getting ready to squash him, getting ready to crush him. And right before the elevator got to him four feet above his head, the safety chain caught that elevator and it never hit him. But the fear of seeing what happened caused him to go into cardiac arrest and he died on the spot, not by the elevator, but by the fear of what might have happened. I'm here to tell you fear sometimes can, can prolonged in our life can bring us to a place to where death will take place in areas of our life. Now, I've talked to you about the fact that disregarding the word of God brings fear, that, that, uh, uh, that disbelief in his promises will bring fear. We see the disciples, they, 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 they heard Jesus talk about the resurrection. They heard the witness of the women who came and said he's not there, he's risen just like he said, and they believed as though like they were telling fairy tales. And now here's the hope this morning. Are you ready for the hope? Give me five minutes, <laughs> praise God. Give me five minutes this morning. Thirdly, fear is dissipated when Christ enters the room. Listen to me, y'all. Fear leaves when Jesus comes. When the presence of God comes in the room, fear dissipates. Fear is gone. Look at verse 19 of chapter 20 where we were. Then the same day in the evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were ascended, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came. Now that's interesting. I'm going to explain that in a minute. Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be unto you. Now you've got to understand this word stood. This is a powerful word. Actually, the root of this word is really resurrection. It means to to rise up and stand. It means to be risen up to stand. It means to rise and then stand. It means to be risen and stand. It comes from the Greek word, the Greek word ane, which means to rise. And it is encompassed with the word he stami, which means to stand. In other words, ani, he masti. In other words, in the Greek, it means this. It means rise and stand. Jesus rose from the grave and stood in the midst of the disciples, in the midst of their panic room. The word means to stand, to establish, to uphold authority. It means to stand and put in order, in place. Hey, listen, Jesus comes into our panic rooms and he puts things back in order. He comes into our panic rooms and he reestablishes our life. He's, what is he doing? He's resurrected and he stood in the midst of where we are. In other words, he set in order. In other words, he balanced the scales to accuracy. It means to balance to accuracy. Here, I'm telling you, you've been covered by faith, covered by fear, covered by fear, been afraid of your adversary. Jesus shows up, and the resurrected Jesus rises, stands in the midst of this. He, is a, he comes in, and he puts an order, but what does he do? He balances the scale. He, 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 dis, he disposes or dispels fear, and he brings back into balance again your life. How many are thankful that the resurrection brought back into balance your life? Your life was full of sin. Your life was full of death and full of all these things. But then the resurrected Savior, by his presence, stood in the midst of you. And all of a sudden, order came back into your life. 
Woo, thank God a risen Savior has dispelled all fear that is in our life. Thank you, Jesus. The word means to abide continually. Woo, glory. I'm about ready to have a gospel fit up here. Because I know a resurrected Savior stood in the midst of my panic room of life. And he was a resurrection that brought into balance my life again. And established his authority back into my life. Woo! How many are glad he delivered you from alcohol? He delivered you from drugs. He delivered you from everything that ailed you and everything that kept you from being a life of victory. He brought, he dispelled paralysis and fear in your life and gave you destiny and hope. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. And he speaks these words and he says, Peace be unto you. Ha <laughs> ha. Now, this is not the word peace. It's messianic peace. The word here means to dispel havoc. In other words, to bring peace where there was havoc. It means to bring security and safety, prosperity. My God. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. It means it presents a way of salvation. It means that the peace of God brings a preservation, a salvation. See, the resurrection was just not for just salvation, which we have in Christ. The resurrection was to bring preservation to our lives. Sanctification. Jesus said, peace be unto you. In other words, I'm dispelling the havoc that's in your life. I'm bringing a security that you've not known before. I'm bringing a safety that you've not known before. This is what he's doing in the midst of the disciples' fear. They disregarded the word. They disbelieved the promise. But now Jesus shows up himself. Hallelujah. I want to close with this this morning, verse 21. We go and see, so Jesus said unto them again, Peace be unto you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Jesus said this twice. Two reasons Jesus stood in the midst of them. One was to bring verification of who he was. He verified who he was. You see those words at verse 19 when it said, And Jesus came. Those words there, it means to verify. It means to present evidence of identity. Jesus came and he stood. In other words, Jesus came. In other words, he verified, he gave proof of the evidence of his resurrection. He verified himself before them. Matter of fact, one translation tells us in Luke 24 that he, he, he showed himself, he proved himself, he showed himself it was to be seen or known by experience. You know, I know my wife this morning is alive and here with me because I've experienced her presence. I physically saw her. It gave proof to her the validity or the verification that she's here. 
Jesus gave verification of his resurrection when he stood in the midst of them and he gave them proof. And, and the Bible tells us in verse 25, in verse 25, it goes on to say, the other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. In other words, we've experienced him. That's what they said unto, unto Thomas when he wasn't there. They said, we've seen the Lord. We've seen him resurrected. We verify our experience with him. And Thomas said this. Thomas said, I will not believe until I see him. Until I have an encounter with him. I'm here to tell you, you know what dispels fear? When, we, when Jesus verifies his identity in our presence. By Jesus being in the midst of our lives, there's a verification that he has risen again as a Savior. You know how I know he's risen? I've not seen him physically, but I know his presence lives in my heart, and I'm alive because of the presence of Jesus. It's been verified by the fact that I can live a life that is subject to him and surrendered to him. I'm no longer what I used to be. I'm now a risen born again, blood-bought, sanctified, full of the Holy Ghost person because Jesus verified his life by being in my presence. Whew. Sorry. I'm not mad. I'm just excited this morning. Two, he demonstrated. You drive out fear by eliminating fear. Jesus demonstrated how to eliminate fear. He did it by love. You know what the opposite of, hate, of, lo of love is? It's not hate. People think it's hate. The opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. That's what happens when people live in fear. They lose their love for Christ. And what happens is they become indifferent to the word of God. And many of you, fear reigns in your life because you've become You need revival in your life. You need the Holy Ghost to overcome you right now as we speak. I pray the Holy Ghost of God comes on you and overshadows you even right where we are right now at this moment, that the love of Jesus dispels all fear in your life. That's why 1 John 4 tells us no fear, uh, that uh, no fear, uh, he cast out all fear with love. In other words, he said in another place, perfect fear, perfect love cast out all fear. His presence says, I care for you. He demonstrates his presence. And then finally, he comes individually to us. You know, old Thomas was left out of Jesus' appearing the first time. Old Thomas was left out. Disciples said they saw him. And Thomas said, I'm not going to believe until I see him, until I put my hand and his scars, until I put my finger in his side, until I see him, I will not believe. But God loves us so much to dispel the doubt in our life and dispel the fear that he himself will personally come to us and personally reveal himself to us. He revealed himself to the disciples and they saw him as an experience, but he came and he found Thomas eight days later. He said, Thomas, I'm not going to leave you out because I care for you. I care. Jesus cares for you and he'll allow you to have a personal experience with him so that he can reveal himself to you. In other words, verse 27, it tells us this. It says, and he said to Thomas, reach your fingers here. And look at my hands and reach your hands here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. 
In other words, Jesus said, by, your, by my demonstration of my personal touch on your life, I have stopped the unbelieving, the process of unbelieving in your life, and reversed it to believing. I'm here to tell you that God wants to stop the process of unbelief in your life. He wants to stop the process of fear. He wants you to stop disregarding the Word of God this morning. And He wants you to stop. You know what Thomas's response was? He said, he looked at Jesus and he said, My Lord, my God. You know what he's saying? He said, My Lord, which means authority. It means lordship. In other words, he's saying, you are my God. And then he said, my God, which identified Jesus' identity. I pray this morning that God will dispel every aspect of fear. Resurrection love has cast out all fear this morning. Some of you have been locked into your panic rooms. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is locking down and breaking through that door of your panic room. And Jesus himself is standing in the midst. It means the resurrection. It means he to rise and stand. It means to, it means to stand up. It means to bring authority. It means to, to bring, uh, it means to bring and establish. It means to weigh the balances. In other words, it means to dispel what is not truth. And some of you have believed lies about fear. They had no fear of the Jews. The Jews weren't trying to kill the disciples. They believed the lie. It was something they themselves drummed up. And they locked themselves in that panic room. Now later, later on, they began to seek out those that preach Christ. But that moment they weren't. What truth is you, what untruth have you believed that's not that's unsubstantiated? I'm here to tell you that fear paralyzes your life. It, it shuts down your, your destination and destiny. It, it ruins relationships. It, it brings a fear on you that paralyzes you. And, and just like the young lady that Barry Manilow wrote all those letters to, she, she, she hid herself in that house. And even though her eyesight came back and she had encouraging words, she still was fearful to get out. Because fear had encapsulated her. Some of you have locked yourself into your own panic room. That's all right. You can bar the doors all you want. Jesus is good at walking through walls. <laughs> Some of you have put walls up. Jesus will walk right through those walls. Walls to keep people away, walls to keep from being healed, walls to keep from experiencing God. I'm telling you, Jesus walks right through them, shows up, stands in your midst. He's a risen Savior. Risen love cast out all fear. His presence made a difference in their life. His presence made a difference in Thomas's life. In other words, they disregarded the Word, and we do it too. We, we disregard all the promises that are given us, and we live like we've never read the Bible. Matter of fact, some of us try to live our lives by not reading the Bible. I'm here to tell you what you're doing is you're disregarding the Word of God. You'll believe everything that everybody else has to say. You'll believe CNN. You'll believe the Internet bloggers and all them that tell you this is coming. That's how, But you won't believe the Word. You put your trust in everything. 
I know Christians who go to psychics. Why? Because they've disregarded the Word of God. I refuse to disregard the Word of God this morning. It is what we are standing on. You want to dispel fear. Do not disregard the Word of God and do not disregard the promises of Jesus. Let me tell you a promise that's been made that's going to come soon. The Bible says in the last days, there will be a catching away. There will be a rapture of the church. The question is, have you disregarded the Word of God on that? Time will end. One day we'll stand before God. You will die. It's appointed unto man to die and then the judgment. Have you given your life to Christ? Have you trusted in Him? Have you disregarded the warnings? Have you sat in church like the disciples and heard preaching after preaching after preaching, but you've disregarded the Word of God that says that one day man will die and stand before God, and you've never given your life to Christ, and you've fought God all your life. You've fought God. And, and the reason you don't go to church is because somebody has not lived correctly in front of you, and what you've done is that fear you have dispelled that they have walked incorrectly. You've taken that and brought it at a place of fear for you. And I'm here to tell you that we don't live according to what everybody else does. We're accountable for our own lives. And not every Christian that says they're Christian and acts like a Christian. Matter of fact, most of you Christians that are watching me right now, there are times you don't act like a Christian. But thank God for repentance and the blood of Jesus. We're not all perfect and we don't all walk straight exactly according to the word. But thank God for grace. Thank God for him to come in the midst of our presence. But you need Jesus this morning. You need to get saved this morning. You need to give your life to Christ. What are you waiting for? Right there in the company of your own home. Turn to those that are watching with you and ask them if they know Jesus. Lead them in the sinner's prayer as we pray right now. This is Resurrection Sunday. No better time than the presence of Jesus to come and stand in the midst of your life than right this minute. Let His presence be there. He's dispelling fear. There's somebody that's listening that fear and anxiety causes you to tremble when you become fearful. There's a physical manifestation in your fear. When you get around moments where there's fear, there's a physical manifestation. I want to pray for you. The Spirit of the Lord says He's healing you this morning. Lord, we pray that there be a calmness that comes in the midst of this individual's fear. They no longer will be trapped in the manifestation of fear, but the presence of God will override that. Peace of God. Peace be unto you, as Jesus said. Chaos is calmed. Peace be unto you. Harmony comes. Jesus was saying, now harmony. Now that I'm here, there's harmony. When Jesus is here and he speaks peace, harmony comes. If you want to accept Christ as your Savior this morning, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I realize this morning that I'm a sinner. I realize that Jesus is alive and He is living. I recognize the fact that I have sin in my life and it needs to be washed and cleansed. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross and His blood was shed for my sin. I put my trust in Him. I confess Him as my Savior and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. I call upon him, and you said in your word that he that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and I call upon his name right now, and I pray that salvation shall come to my house and my home and my heart today. 
I pray this prayer and all my sin has been forgiven and washed away. And now my profession is, is that I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I want you to tell somebody that you got saved. Tell somebody you gave your life to Christ. Tell somebody that you gave your heart to Jesus. Those of you that are battling fear and locked in the panic room, I want you just to lift your hands as you're watching. I want to pray for you. Father, I pray for everyone who is battling the spirit of fear. Not just a moment of being afraid, but the spirit of fear. I pray that just as disciples, through their encounter with Jesus, all fear was dispelled, I pray that now that your presence would come into their home and into their room and dispel all fear. Let the hope of Christ be in them and be with them. Thank you, Lord, that you are resurrected Savior, and we celebrate you this day and every day. You have broken the bonds of our panic room. And our doors swing wide open. And we walk out in freedom. No longer to be trapped again in the world of fear. But to live with the liberty that comes in knowing Christ. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description. Or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.